Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I hope you will go on Amazon and purchase the book or download it on Audible and listen to the book so you can get some more insight as to why I decided to start this podcast show a few years ago and continue the conversation. You're going to hear from professionals. You're going to hear from people with lived experience, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, You're going to listen to people that have recovered. Uh, You're going to hear resources about how you can navigate through this broken road to mental health and life in a business. And you will certainly be hearing me talk about the importance of having this discussion in business today. That is what I speak about at conferences, and I hope that you will take it seriously. We need to speak more about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please be sure to tell somebody you know that might be struggling to subscribe, to listen, to watch and share it with others. You are not alone on this broken road to mental health. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. This one is going to be a doozy. So we are all on the broken road to mental health, and I love being on a road with a fellow New Yorker. Okay. Yes, I'm in Florida, and so is John now. But we are New Yorkers, and there's nothing makes my heart sing more than talking to a fellow New Yorkers. So welcome to the show, John, Dr. John Giordano. How are you? Thank you. Terrific. Thank you for being here. So John is going to get us started with reading a passage, and I'm all about it. So go for it. Okay. This book that I wrote, one of the books, I got about four books, but this is the one, the latest book. It's called The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. Here is my roadmap for positive change. There is one thing in this world, one special lesson, one constant that has guided me through the turbulent waters of life. This infinite rule, which most people know but ignore or who simply do not follow their life lessons. That is, no matter what, no matter the circumstances, the obstacles, the people that get in our way or things that slow us down, follow this one simple rule. Never give up on your dreams, never let go of your passions, and especially never give up on yourself or a God of your understanding. Mm -hmm. My name is John Giordano, and I'm a recovering addict who turned $300 into $45 million. I was blessed to become extremely successful, and I'd like to share my story with you. This is how my life was transformed and how I was saved from falling into the abyss of hell. And by following this one rule and learning how to have a life worth living. Mm. Yes, I love it. John, that's amazing. I'm so excited. I can't wait to read your book. Um, I want everybody to to learn a little bit um, about you. I know that you have a a long history, but uh, you you certainly didn't come up, let's say, um, in a very Pollyanna type of way, did you, in the Bronx? What was it like? A little tidbit. I think, I think they shot Pollyanna. <laughs> my family. <laughs> Let's tell everybody about how it started for you, John. Okay. Um, when I was eight years old, my father was a heroin dealer, and he wound up getting going to jail. When I was eight and a half, I got molested by some boys in the neighborhood, and it was very confusing for me mm. because there was a moment in time 
okay, and when that happened, that part of me liked it and the other part felt shame and guilt and fear that anybody would find out. Then when I was nine, I got molested again by my babysitter. She was 14 and I was nine. Then I wound up in gangs and uh, I was in a black gang, Hispanic gang, Irish guy. I was on every gang known to man. You know, I was looking, I don't know, was looking to deal with or get rid of my anger or whatever it was. Um, then I got into karate and that changed me from uh, being in the gangs and all this stuff. And I'm just going to make a, a brief story. Sure. And um, what happened was at 20, my uncle threw the wedding. Now, my uncle was a hitman. My, oh my, my family were like bank robbers and, and Shylock. Shylock's are people that loan you money. And if you don't pay, they make you pay one way or the other. <laughs> right. So, you know, people used to say, John, why don't you watch The Sopranos? I says, I live The Sopranos. Yeah, really? I don't want to watch The Sopranos. <laughs> so, so my uncle threw the wedding. And they, you know, it was a really interesting wedding because I married a Jewish girl. And, and, the, and the people didn't want you know, her to marry somebody who wasn't Jewish. Well, apparently I'm Italian, so I wasn't Jewish. But they met my family. They really fell in love with my family. Mm. (laughs) They didn't know my family too well. But my family, they're they're great people. Just don't mess with them. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so um, on one side of the aisle was the family of the bride, and the other side of the aisle was the family of the groom. Well, the family of the bride, they were lawyers and doctors and all of us kind of, our father was a lawyer and the mother was the head of the PTA. And on my side were the nefarious type. They were, that one side was carrying pens and the other side was carrying guns. <laughs> so it was like an interesting dynamic in the wedding. Yeah. So anyway, the caterer insulted my uncle in front of the family. Well, the next morning he killed him. Oh my so God. So we, we had to leave a town real early, real quick. So because the detectives were coming to my grandmother's house. She was throwing guns down the chute. I mean, it was like crazy. Yeah. So, and you know, I never said it would be like my family when I winded up being just like them. Mm. Uh, And, uh, you know, I was a national karate champion. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do uh, anything. I drank alcohol when I was a kid. I used to throw up, so I stopped doing that. But I started my journey with drugs when I was about 19, 20 years old when I met this girl. Yeah. Anyway, Going on, I became eventually I became a drug dealer. Then I used to do collection work for the smugglers. Uh, then I used to teach one of the cartels. I went to Colombia and I was teaching one of the cartels about all of their bodyguards and you know the martial arts and self-defense and how to whatever. Uh, I went through all that, and then eventually I was getting more and more out of hand, and um, they did an intervention on me in my family. Mm. So how old were you? Have. I was 30, 37. Okay. So I says, they're doing an intervention on me. Who's doing yeah. an intervention on them? <laughs> <laughs> who's like, the sick one here? Right, like, who's who here? Are, are you all coming to treatment with me? I mean, <laughs> so, so anyway, I said, okay. All right, so I'll go to true. My mother said she'll never talk to me again. And my mother wasn't like that. So I had some Coke in my sock. I went into the bathroom, did a couple of hits. And, and I went up and. To make it really short, I had a spiritual awakening in there. I was really not a nice client. Uh, my family knew the owners of the treatment, so I says they tolerated me. Hmm. Um, I remember sitting in group and saying, I won't even get high with you people. What am I doing here? <laughs> you know, and then, <laughs> then they would say to me, uh, John, we want you to share your you know, your deepest emotions, your feelings. I said, if I do that, I have to kill you. <laughs> I was a bad client. 
But anyway, it started to clear up. I started to change. And then uh, uh, one thing that happened that was a, a change for me in, in treatment was when I got angry, I didn't get angry, I got rageful. Mm. So I don't know about anybody else, but it didn't go away in 10 minutes. It, it either it went away in hours or days sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, since it was Christmas time and I wanted to go home for Christmas Eve. I didn't want my kids to see me in the hospital and which is like really stupid. My kids didn't even see me because I was out using and disappearing for three days at a time. You know, that's what right. we do. Anyway, um, he, they said, no, you can't go. So I got pissed off. So I went over to my room and I punched the door and, and I never, I never emptied my suitcases. They're always in the closet full because I was always leaving. Of course. So you know, I didn't have a problem. Everybody else, they had a problem. Of course, yeah. But anyway, I remember my counselor saying to me, uh, do you ever pray on your knees? So I laughed. I said, are you kidding me? I'm a recovering Catholic. Of course <laughs> they prayed on my knees. I got calluses on my knees. <laughs> you know? so, so, you know, I, he said, no, for humility, John. I said, oh, yeah, well, God doesn't listen to me. What about if I'm in the closet? Can he hear me? <laughs> but anyway, I was hurting so much. You know, and the funny part was, I didn't want to go home because it was Christmas Eve. I wanted to go home because my friends would give me Coke in a Christmas card. Sure. So, you know, that's another story. <laughs> anyway, so I said, let me, let me, let me get down on my knees. Let me just try this. I went to get down on my knee. I couldn't get my knee down. I know that may sound a little strange, but that's what happened. And I'm hmm. saying, wait a second, this is weird. And then I pushed my knee down. And then I had to push my other knee down. And for the first time, I said, God, thing, alien, whoever you are, please take this away from me mm. and I'll do whatever you want. Well, let me tell you something, Sharon, it disappeared. Wow. Like it never was there. Mm. Now I'm a real sick guy. So I try to get it back. Well, it didn't work. <laughs> okay. So that was my kind of like my spiritual awakening and treatment. Yeah. Now, um, when I got out, I wanted to help people. I wanted to do everything. A lot of addicts do that when they go through treatment. I wanted to give back because we're selfish, we're self-centered and highly manipulative. Very, so, very, very. Very, 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 right. So, selfish, well, self-centered and self-seeking, I think they say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, I want what I want when I want it and I want it yesterday. You know, That's that right. Kind of thing. And we blame everybody, by the way. We don't take any responsibility. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It wasn't me. If you, didn't, if you didn't do that, I wouldn't do this. So, right. you know, all that baloney we say to ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, I only went to the ninth grade mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I, I, I was embarrassed the way I spoke because I sound like I come from New York, even though I come from New York. Uh, you know, I couldn't spell very well and my grammar wasn't the greatest and, you know, and it was like really funny. Now they got spell check and grammar check. I don't have to worry about that anymore. Right? Right? <laughs> Computers are great. And, um, you know, and over the time, I, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but uh, I opened up my first treatment center at 14 months clean. I was homeless. I got divorced from my wife. They said, don't make any major decisions for the first year. So, so you I changed everything. Early. So I was a little early. In, in nine months, I said, this is it. Because she was still getting high. So I remember coming out of treatment and she says, she picks me up and she hands me a vial of Coke and says, oh, just do one hit. You haven't been using for six weeks because they gave me an extra two weeks because I was a little sicker than I guess some of the people. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's what happened. And I opened up a treatment center with my uh, therapist and with my uh, my doctor. And I got, they were only three years in recovery. And 
the doctor had a sex addiction and he was taking the money from the treatment. I mean, it was like a nightmare. You can read about it, guys, if you want to read about it. It's well, I think you I bring up a very up. good point, John, if I could just interrupt for a sure. second. I, I really love that this is how it's kind of starting out because, you know, here you're talking about a doctor and a therapist, but but early in recovery. And I remember uh, the first time I went to rehab and I came out, you know, I was sober about 10 minutes, but I wanted to go speak at my high school and tell everybody else that they should stay sober. Right, and I, right, right. You know, I couldn't even stay sober myself. You know, it took two more rehabs. Uh, I had a blackout, moved to Detroit, Michigan, stay there for three years and go through all of this trauma before I was eventually able to get sober. And I think that it is so that point, that little small point that you made about you know, him having this sex addiction, because just because we put down the drink or the drug doesn't mean that we're well yet. Like it takes so much time, effort, therapy, whatever, you know, karate, all the things to, to get to a place where you're actually ready to, to help other people. Right. Well, you know what it is when people don't understand my phone keeps ringing. <laughs> what people don't understand is this. Just because you put down the drugs and the alcohol, mm-hmm. most people are dual, dual addicted. Yeah. And most people are dual diagnosed, meaning they have depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. and things of like that. OCD is really big also, yeah. obsessive compulsive disorder. And what happens is it took time to get sick and it takes time to get well. And most people tell me, well, how long is it going to take to get well? I said, well, it's up to you. How well do you want to be? Right. What effort do you want to put in? You know, right. it's yeah. like working out. You know, if you want to pick up weights uh, once a week, and then stop after a month and think you're in shape, then go for it. Let me know how you do. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so you opened this first treatment center. And, and what was and that? It was, like? it was packed. Wow. Okay. And where was and it? It was in North Miami Beach. Okay. Good spot. No, actually, it was in North Miami. That okay. was, uh, it was uh, in North Miami General Hospital, which now is, a, is not a hospital anymore. They made it into a cooking school, but. Okay. Uh, and um, it was really, we had 30 beds uh, and we had 12 beds psychiatric and we had a detox in residential. Mm. Now, my friend that I got the money from to start it with was one that owned a hotel that he lent me a room. So I had a bicycle. I had that somebody loaned me. I had a job with to put quarters in when I had quarters. Uh-huh. Uh, my wife had the house. She had the car. She had everything. And um I told him that I had this relationship with this doctor who's a famous addiction doctor. And he said, he says, uh, I says, and he wants to open up a treatment center. Well, you know, good addict. I lied, you know? <laughs> so, so he says, well, if you have that doctor, I'll give you the money. He said, well, how much money do you need? Now I'm an addict. The only right. thing I know about treatment was I was in a treatment center. Mm-hmm. have no clue. Oh, I said a quarter of a million dollars. He said, well, you got it. So wow. I walked in the doctor's office and says, Hey doc, I got a quarter of a million dollars. Would you like to open up a treatment center? He said, you know, I was just thinking about that, John, because he was always a comedian, right? Uh-huh. So we opened it up and I hired my therapist. Mm-hmm. I hired, I didn't know it was not right to do. I hired most of the staff from Mount Sinai Hospital. All okay. right, they treated me. I gave them all almost double their salary. Wow. Because I was really appreciative. They helped save my life. You know, sure. when I woke up out of the dream state that I was in, mm-hmm. you know. And... Um, well, it didn't work out. I went back to school. I got my GED. Uh, my sponsor told me, sit in front of the room. They told me, I said, I don't want to sit in front of the room in class. No, no, you sit in front of the room. So that's what I did. Uh, they told me, go to meetings every 90 and 90. I went through for two years, 
I went there every day. Mm. And then I backed it up a little bit. Uh, you know, I did everything they told me to do, even though I didn't believe in it. You know, I, I remember when I used to go to the meetings and I used to say, F God, I don't want to hear about this. I didn't come here to join a new religion. You right. know, and I, like I said, I wouldn't even get high with you people. What am I doing here? All right. <laughs> they told me to come here. All right, I'm here. You know, right. and then one of the old timers came up and said, John, how about G-O-D? I said, look, man, I know how to spell. He said, no, 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 no. He says, how about good orderly direction? That was my God for the first two years. Yeah. I said, that I can do. Yeah. That's and great. that's what I did. And then as it went along, I got my GED, which it tells you in the book how paralyzed I was to do that. Um, I guess that most of the answers, but I guess right. So I got my GED. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but anyway, um, and I went to school. They made me the validatorian and the addiction school. I got all these accolades and all this other stuff. And it, it was kind of weird going to school because all the students wanted the teachers to bring them to their treatment center where they were working as a, you know, a student. Mm -hmm. So it was the opposite for me. All the teachers wanted me to hire them to bring them to my treatment center. Wow. Now here I am 14 years, 14 months clean. Oh my goodness. And I'm standing in this, this wing of this hospital, looking around, and I cannot believe where I am and what I'm doing. Right. I was so in awe, I can't even begin to tell you. And I, I'll tell you my first, this is something that just, I remembered. You know, when you're going to be a counselor, you have to, you know, you have to have supervision and I have to have 6,000 hours of supervision and all this other stuff, 300 hours of, uh, you know, addiction training and all this. So I'm in, a, my, I'm in a group with a bunch of addicts and of course, and a therapist and a lead therapist. And this guy starts crying and sharing all this stuff. And everybody goes, well, he never speaks in group. Oh, we can't believe that he finally broke through. So the therapist goes around, what do you all think about that? Then they come to me and they go, he's full of crap. Oh, they said, oh, they all jumped on me. The therapist jumped on me. The, how could you do that? How can you shut somebody down in group? The guy stopped crying. He picked his head up. He says, he's right. That's <laughs> what I do. And wow. everybody's jaw dropped. Yeah, so wow. So the therapist grabbed me on the side and he goes after group. He says, how did you know that? I said, look, I'm an addict. I know what an addict is full of crap. I was feeling, mm -hmm. you know, that's my story. Right. Okay. He says, you have a gift. He says, you should follow that up. Hmm. And that's what I've been doing all these years. Wow. So, you know, amazing to have lived experience. You know, I've been told by uh, police officers that I'd make a good cop. I've been told by um, people in jails that I'd make a, a good parole officer because, yeah, I mean, I can spot it a mile away. Um, oh, yeah. Once you have been down that road, you it takes about nine seconds to evaluate who somebody else is because I've been the biggest manipulator, drug addict, um, just user, selfish, self-centered, self-seeking human being. It's very easy to pick that out in somebody. But I love that you've dedicated your life to this uh, world of, of treatment. And I know that it's evolved for you through the years. Why don't you tell me the first time? Well, what about the first book you wrote? I know that this. Well, wait, one... well, let me just, let me tell you the, 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 this, this way people can understand why I wrote the book. Sure. So I opened up anyway, they cheated me out of the first center. Okay. So I was going to, I called my uncle if I was going to have him kill him. Okay. <laughs> but I'm in recovery now. So I couldn't do that. So but I it was only 14 up. months. Okay. So, <laughs> so there we go. No, it wind up being almost two years by the time okay. that happened. Okay. Right? Two years. It's like, 
<laughs> Still not well, everybody. No, no, no. no. It takes time to get yes. well, guys. Yes. So anyway, I called my uncle to have him killed, but then I changed my mind. My recovery kicked in, and he said, "You sure <gasps> it's okay?" I said, "Oh yeah, they gave me twenty five percent of the outpatient program, and I had a, I had to swallow my ego, my pride, and my anger because mm -hmm. I needed six thousand hours in order to get my certification for addiction treatment, mm -hmm. be a counselor. So that's what happened. So then after that, I left, and I." I was going to beat him up. And then I said, no, and I just left. Anyway, I got my friend that loaned me the money for the first treatment center. said, I got another guy that wants to open up a treatment center. He needs a business plan. I said, I don't know how to write a business plan. <laughs> he said, I'll do it for you. So he wrote it for me. So I went up to see the guy and I forgot the business plan. Oh. So the guy says to me, I said, look, I couldn't leave. I was a minute away from West Palm Beach. So I says, okay. So I told him what happened. He threw a napkin at me and he goes, here, tell me what you need the money for. So I wrote it all down. Because mm -hmm. I really learned about treatment centers. I was like mm -hmm. an average learner when it came to this stuff. So we opened up that treatment center. A year later, it happened to me again. He was a corporate raider. I didn't know. And I was mm -hmm. going to throw him through a window. He says, you should read your contract, which I didn't have a lawyer because I was stupid. Mm -hmm. I'm a street kid. You mess with me, I punch you in the face. <laughs> well, I don't get I'm a lawyer. Be, I'm, in, I'm the lawyer. I'm in right. I can't do that anymore, right? Uh -huh. you know, so anyway, that's what happened. Then I worked in a homeless shelter. I was a clinical director for that. And then I opened up my treatment center and I wanted to do something different. Mm -hmm. And we made it into alternative medicine because I was so into philosophy. Yeah, mm -hmm. integrative medicine, alternative mm -hmm. treatment. And we used to do meditation. I did amino acid therapy with them. I did meditation with them, acupuncture. And that's, that's how it started off. And then we wind up, as we grew, we had people chasing us for money. I used to take the, my, my friend that I went partners with, I says to him, want to be my partner? I give you 50% of the, of the outpatient program that I have. He goes, let me see your books. I said, what books? I used to take the money, put it in my pocket. I said, no, they're paid. Don't worry, they're addicts. They'll pay me. He said, what are you crazy? They're not going to pay. So he took over the business. Then his son came in, who knew mm -hmm. about the internet. And we started this company called G&G &G Holistic Addiction Treatment Program. Okay. And we started with $300. That's what I started with. I was the only employee that he came. We mm -hmm. weren't making any money, and, but we still gave people free treatment, people that really wanted it, mm. even though we couldn't even pay our bills, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, eventually things changed and we just stuck it out and we never gave up and we just never gave up. And I don't want to go into the whole book, but eventually we helped somebody uh, whose father was a billionaire and he loved what we went about money. He saw that, that we really helping people and wanted to help people. And anyway, he bought us a bunch of buildings and we had seven buildings wow. and we paid them back on 8% on the money and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wind up with uh, eight buildings and 147 employees, nine vans, 10 nurses, wow. three psychiatrists. Uh, I mean, Jaco accredited was the highest accreditation you can get. And we did all, I did hyperbaric medicine. I did acupuncture, amino acid therapy. We did biofeedback, neurofeedback, uh, uh, lymphatic massage. We did um, heavy metal testing. We did everything, allergies, no aromatherapy, nobody. And Ibogaine mm. we had with, I met Dr. Mash and we wind up, there's a whole story with that. And we wind up in St. Kitts. I worked with her for like 13 years. Wow. I still work with her. Uh -huh. And Ibogaine is a, a bush from West Africa that they use for a rite of passage. But 
what happened, this guy, um, Howard Lutzoff, who was a heroin addict, was looking for a new high. And he went to West Africa to do Ibogaine. It's a psychedelic. Mm -hmm. And he did it. And the next morning, he was detoxed. Wow. And he had no cravings. He didn't have any cravings. He says, wow, I can make money with this. So he went to Panama, opened up a treatment center. He got Dr. Mash, who's a neuromolecular scientist from the University of Miami, head of the Brain Bank, head of the Alzheimer's Foundation, introduced her to Ibogaine. She really saw what he could do, started to do research, but didn't like to be with him because, you know, our behaviors are still there, and opened up a program in St. Kitts. And that's how right. I met with her. And then I met Dr. Blum, who's the geneticist who found the addiction gene, him and this guy, Ernie Noble, Dr. Noble. Then I met Dr. Harch, who is a pioneer in hyperbaric medicine, who works with TBI cases. And uh, I mean, I've got to meet some of the wildest people in my life. Yeah. And now I'm on their research team. I've been on their research team. Uh, I was telling you earlier, I'm in 79 medical and scientific peer-reviewed journals. Wow. I'm on an editorial board. Now, this is a kid. That From the South days. Bronx. From the South Bronx, you know? Right. But, and, and that's why I keep telling people, look, you never know where this journey can take you. Mm, I mean, true. if you would have told me this in the beginning, I would have, honest to God, I would have punched you in the face to you make it fun of me. <laughs> I'm always punching somebody in the face. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, really. We sell, you know, they always say, don't quit five minutes before the miracle. And um, I, I think it's so true. Who who could have ever imagined that your life would take a turn like this for uh, to help so many people and to continue to evolve. Um, I know that you're involved now in um, in a, a ketamine um, center. Is it a rehab center? Tell me a little bit about that. Let me tell you, it's pretty wild. I became one of the leading experts on psychedelic medicine because of the Ibogaine journey I was in and that I'm mm -hmm. still in. And ketamine came about and I didn't like the ketamine because I figured, you know, special K, people get high with it. I said, I don't need that stuff. Right. Okay. But then I found out that it really helps people. And then what we found out through research that it actually grows new connections in your brain where depression and anxiety come from. Mm. And it's for people. And then it's all over. Now you see it everywhere. The science being done over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I says, wow, this stuff really works. Let me see if it really, really works. My, my wife was suffering. Our medications mm -hmm. kept changing. It didn't work. I says, come on, we're going to try this stuff. So I, I met these two anesthesiologists, the two nurses, CRNAs, mm -hmm. uh, and incredible ladies. They really have good, they really care about the people. It's not mm -hmm. just about money, okay? Mm -hmm. Not that making money is bad, but it primarily has got to be helping people. And the money comes, I promise you, it does. So, sure. And I love that you I, say that because there is a lot of shady shit going on in treatment centers. Yeah. They're doing the same thing with the ketamine centers, okay? Yeah, I believe it. So we, without count, ketamine is not a magic bullet. I want to get that cr across to the public. Okay, neither right. was Ibogaine, neither was any psychedelic, mushrooms, MDMA. You need therapy. Yes. You need integrative coaching with this stuff. You need a support system. Mm. It took us years to get sick, to become inhuman humans. It takes time to get well. And yes. you want to know something? The challenges that show up on a daily basis, you continuously need to get well. Because yes. it's very easy to slip back into the old behaviors. Yeah. Well, you know? I heard your wife, you know, John has a great podcast and I, I would highly recommend it. I'm going to put all the information in the show notes about it. But, you know, um, it's called Beat Your Addictions. And, and you did this uh, journey 
um, with your wife on the show uh, because she struggled like I did with with depression. I was very blessed. And I mentioned this to you before we hit record that, you know, I had a, a psychiatrist, a, a team. I had help. I had love and support in my family. I had the 12 steps. Uh, there was a lot that I had, you know, and I was only on this medication for six months and I haven't taken anything since. But, you know, it depression, anxiety, and, and so many other, uh, issues come up, uh, especially with people that are in recovery. And, and I speak about that in my, in my book, you know, um, the 12 steps did not cure my depression. I had to get outside help for that. And still to this day, um, I'm proud to say that I still do therapy. I, I work out, I, I exercise, I meditate, you know, nutrition. It's, it's a lot. It's never just going to be one thing, John. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because, you know, so many people think that it's like, oh, I'll just go to the psychiatrist and I'll, I'll get a pill. And, and you will be, it is, it is a bandaid, John. It is a bandaid. Well, let me tell you what, I give you some information. That's really tell me, John, tell me. I got some real cool stuff to tell you, man. <laughs> and I, the only thing, listen, the only thing I, I if I touted, I did it myself. I might like saw my wife and my family and my mm. friends all do it. Uh, you know, NAD plus. Are you familiar with NAD plus is? Nope. It's uh, it's okay. N like a Nancy, A like an Apple, D like a David, and okay. plus. Look it up. It's an enzyme in every cell of your body. It works with what is known your mitochondria. Your mitochondria is the engine for every cell in your body. It's God the and it's it's the it's the it's the 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 diesel fuel or the gasoline for your mitochondria engine that drives your cells. Yes. Now, as we get older, you you lose the NAD enzyme. Okay, and also, are you familiar with uh, telomeres? What that is? Yes, I am. Okay. Well, for those who don't know, they're the ends of your chromosomes and the telomere. Look at this. A kid from the Bronx talking about this. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> telomeres get shorter as you get older. Hmm. Okay. NAD plus helps them to even get longer, possibly. Okay. Or stay the way they are and hmm. gives you energy, but also helps with depression and anxiety. Hmm. Same with ketamine. It's an unbelievable substance. And what we do at my clinic, it's called the Ketamine Clinic of South Florida. Mm -hmm. It's in Pompano. We do all kinds of different things, you know, to help we treat the gut. The gut, most people don't realize it's the second brain. That's where autoimmune diseases come. And most of your uh, dopamine and serotonin comes from the gut. Yes. Goes up your vagus nerve and deposits it into your brain. Mm -hmm. Now, the way Dr. Blum coined the phrase RDS. This is how we look at addiction. Reward, deficiency, syndrome. Hmm. It's a lack of dopamine and serotonin. That's what addicts chase, All right? So if you're genetically predisposed, okay, you're going to be chasing the buzz, as we call sure. it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, but there's such a thing as epigenetics. That means the social environment can actually change your gene expression. So it doesn't mean that you're going to become an addict because you have that gene, Okay, because the social environment can change that expression. Amino acid therapy, we, we did 15 papers on that. Uh, Dr. Blum put this formula together, double blind study, the golden standard. It upregulates dopamine. Mm. Not any amino acids, it's a certain compound. It has, when you do, when you do research, they actually have to have the molecular structure of each item that's in your compound 
So when you give it to different universities, it's exactly the same product because calcium comes from different places, B12 comes from different places. So it's all going to be exactly the same. So you can get the exact same results. So those are the things that I learned. And hyperbaric medicine is another one. Oxygen under pressure heals the brain. You know how we go through post-traumatic drawl syndrome? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. You ask a doctor, you can ask Dr. Phil, ask any of them. You know what they're going to tell you? Time. Because they don't know. Yeah. And you know what heals that? Hyperbaric medicine. Oxygen mm -hmm. under pressure heals the brain. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You know, well, I, I do think that there's, you know, it's so wonderful to to listen to you talk about all of the options that are available because it's everybody's different. I think if we've learned anything through the pandemic, we've learned that we all have uh, different DNA and not everybody's going to get as sick as the other one. So we're all individuals That's and we right. need to be treated as, as a whole person. And it, it's never just going to be one thing that is the cure. So your book, um, the kid from the South Bronx who never gave up and your, uh, center and all of the information that you, uh, you, I mean, you have a 62 bed inpatient outpatient accredited addiction treatment center in North Miami beach, Florida. In North that, Miami, yeah, North Miami beach. And I sold it in 2012. Good for you. Good for you, John. It's amazing. We, we, didn't, we didn't want to sell it. I'll be honest, I didn't want to sell it, but my partner got cancer Then mm, he had a stroke mm. and my other partner, his son was the one that did. I mean, look, it was I like to take all the credit, but it's not the way it is. It's a team that makes any company successful. True. It's never one person. Very and true. People have to realize that. So it's always a team. And I know what I learned in, in recovery is I know that I don't know. Right. So I want to remain teachable. Yeah. One of my favorite answers is I don't know. Right. Yes. It's a very humbling thing to say from somebody who was once very egocentric. So um, where can everybody get your book, John? Can uh, can they go on Amazon? Amazon? They can get it on Amazon. They can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it on, uh, it's on everywhere, actually. And Absolutely. How to Beat Your Addictions and Live a Quality Life. That's also an interesting book. I wrote it by, I interviewed about 200 addicts and alcoholics, people that have eating disorders and hmm. people that have gambling, you know, because addiction is addiction, you know. Yeah, and um, I wanted to know what they did for their recovery. That it, not just quitting the substances or the behaviors, but actually living a recovery lifestyle. Mm. Like you say, working out, eating as best you can, you know, uh, going to meetings, getting support group. I don't care if it's church meetings, whatever floats your boat. Okay. So what what floats your boat today, John? So what do you do for your own recovery? And um, I, I I do therapy. I do mm -hmm. ketamine. I've done that a few times. I just wanted to see what it was. And it really helped me tremendously. Wonderful. On some of some things that I thought that I was okay with, like my daughter, I used mm. to always fight with her about stuff. Mm. You know, always trying to fix our kids, which it, <laughs> you know, the only person you can fix maybe is yourself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. right. So our relationship completely changed. That's great. That's wonderful. It was amazing. As a matter of fact, she called me up to me. She says, Daddy, I want to tell you, I'm so happy that you and I got so much closer again. Mm. You know, me too. It's always like really cool stuff. And I'm always, and I take my nutrients. I'm 76 years old. I still train. I do 40 laps in the pool. You know, I eat, I eat basically pretty good. Uh -huh. You know, I, I don't eat any meat, any chicken, any things like that. I eat the vegetables and mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff that I said I would never eat. Or what am I, a rabbit? <laughs> what am I eating? You know? but, 
You take care of yourself. It's wonderful. And it is, it is a family disease. So it's really nice that you mentioned your daughter. I don't think that, you know, we should ever think that we're far from or, or, or too well to think that we don't need to get help. And the people that, that we love also need to continuously learn how to live with the addict and the alcoholic and, and the person that has, you know, been through trauma and um, molestation. It, It takes a long time to get over trauma. And I think that all of the things that you've done and, and that you share for others to get help is, is really, um, really, really great, John. I really appreciate all that you've done to help not only yourself, but so many others today. It's, it's really beautiful. The Eastern Western uh, world of medicine is alive and well. Thank God. So my kid almost died from this disease. So did my wife. She tried to kill herself three times. Mm. Uh, my son, uh, OD, that was going to put charcoal down his throat. Me well, too. Uh, I had charcoal. Yeah. Tell your son I too. Charcoal. It's not good. Today, if I had to design a son, I would have felt short. Same with a daughter. My oh. kids are terrific, but let me tell you something. They used to sell drugs. They used to drive me crazy. I wouldn't have killed them. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching me through mm. them and yeah. then beating myself up. You know. Yeah. But you know what they say today? Dad, if it wasn't for you, I don't know if I would be dead in jail or whatever, because we watch, listen, anybody that's listening out there, talking is great, sounds good, all this information, but people watch what you do, forget about what you say. That's the truth. We do recover, John. We do recover. Yes, we do. We One do. moment at a time. <laughs> well, exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. I hope you'll come back and share with us again. This has Anytime. been a real pleasure. Thank you, John. Thank you.